To the Drew Marshall Show on Joy 1250. Well, it's good to have a little Bruce Coburn on the show every once in a while. One of my favorites over the years, and actually one of my favorite interviews. I remember having Bruce on the show a few years back now, and uh, we've run into each other at various concerts and functions and said good day. And I think uh, today's the day that they unveiled the Bruce Coburn stamp. So, congratulations, Bruce. Yet more accolades in which you will cower from. He's a very, very shy guy. One of the most uh, humblest Canadians. Although, you know, Canadians, humble, humility. We're happy with bronze at the Olympics. That's what the Canadian really is. Well, our last uh, segment on the show is uh, something that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. And it's a thrill and an honor. I know people say that all the time and they don't really mean it. But it is a thrill and an honor for me to have... Carl and Lenore Wirtz in the studio with us. I guess at this point in our lives, can I can I can I use the term friend? Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I mean, you know, we don't hang out or anything. Uh, Carl, you and I first met at baseball in Orangeville. Where you tried to play baseball? Oh, really? <laughs> That's how we're going to start? Wow. <laughs> True. Although uh, that, yeah, I hadn't played baseball in like twenty years, so uh, yeah. And uh, and then Lenore, unfortunately, the first time I met you. You were laying in a hospital bed down in Toronto and very unaware that I was anywhere near the building. Now, listen, have you shared this story with the media in any sort of full detail yet? Uh, just recently, we have talked to the Orange Air Ambulance okay. company, okay. and we've been doing some interviews with them. I didn't realize you had such a sexy voice. <laughs> what a great radio. I've got to get you to do some voiceovers no. for me. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, but you haven't done any radio or, or sort of television? No, no okay. we haven't. All right. Well, thank you for the honor of, of, uh, of joining us uh, first, I guess, in, in many ways. I always hesitate going into the, okay, tell us what happened, right? Because, I don't know, it just seems so tacky to jump right into that first. So let's go a little bit backwards. I was at the sentencing earlier this week, I think Monday. Mm -hmm. Can we use the word closure for you? Is Was there any closure on that day at all, Lenore? Oh, that's such a hard um, word for me because everybody thinks, like, it's closure because we don't have to go back to court. Right. But not closure because it's lifelong injuries for me. If you are listening to this story and we've intrigued you enough, because I didn't want to set it up too much today because you can kind of overdo it. If you're intrigued enough, this is the point where I let you know that Lenore's is really a walking miracle. And that's uh, the reason she's here today. Uh, minutes before closing time at uh, a clothing store in Orangeville where you don't only worked uh, five shifts roughly. A guy came in and brutally and savagely, and as the uh, judge said, cowardly, attacked you. You were strangled, you were kicked, you were stabbed, and I'm I'm going to stick with 31 times, even though that was discussed ridiculously it, it was, at the, in the courtroom. I know. Yeah. Stabbed 31 times. Yeah. Sentencing came down. He was given 13 years, plus uh, two for one time, uh, you know, since he's already been in there for almost two years, I think. Mm -hmm. And I read the article in the Orangeville Banner, the local paper. And I don't know who was in the courtroom when they wrote that, 
but it made it sound like uh, Buddy got 13 years. And, okay, I know Buddy got 13 years, but Buddy's going to be out in foreign change, or eligible for parole in foreign change. It's actually six and a half. It is six and it a half. Is. Yeah. He's, he's wrong, and it's going to be retracted. Okay, so he'll be he'll be eligible he for parole to, in six and a half? He has to serve a mandatory half of his sentence, okay. which is six and a half. He six has to half. serve. But the reporter... Okay. Did half of the time remaining? Right. Yeah. The math. Instead he, he of half of the thirteen. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he had it wrong. And we start talking about numbers for for someone that has done something like this. We start talking about uh, punishment and justice. Right. Is there a number that makes you smile? If he if they gave him uh, life, if they gave him uh, forty years, would that make you would that make you feel better, Lenore? It wouldn't make me smile, but it would make me feel better if he had longer. Thirteen or six and a half, it just it doesn't seem long enough. I feel like it should be more like 25 or 30. Yeah. I How mean, about you, Carl? Well, absolutely. I mean, firstly, Lenore has a fear because he stole her purse and, um, and never revealed where it was and what he did with it. There's a concern that, you know, he comes back you know, to finish the job he started. Yeah. So she has that fear that goes in her mind all the time. So to know that he'd be put away for 25 years plus and come out a very, very old man is comforting from that aspect. But it's for, for us to have gone through something so brutal, you you say to yourself, like, where's the deterrent mm-hmm. for, for crime in, in North America and Canada? It's it's not significant enough for what he did to Lenore. and uh, And that's what's what's so disappointing to us in terms of its the punishment i guess if you will i want to share a moment that i had when i was there uh, for on the day that the, the victim impact statements were read and by the way uh, thank you for allowing me to because it's I, f- I felt a little intrusive and i did no. you know i just no, not at all. want to be mindful of that um anyway you have three daughters and if my son ends up marrying one of them, I'll be the happiest guy in the planet. <laughs> Great girls. I'm just saying. Right? There it is. Thank you. The youngest, her victim impact statement was read by uh, the Crown Attorney. Right. Mm-hmm. Then the other two girls got up and said what they said. And you could see people shifting, and you could see some emotions coming, and you could even see the court staff just, you know. Yeah. And, of course, Lenore, you, you said yours as well right at the very end. Right. Very eloquently, by the way. Actually, your entire family. I mean, even the judge made comment. Uh, so you guys are doing something right. My kids can't even figure out how to do up their fly. So I, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but, Carl, when you read yours, yeah. that's when the lid came off everyone's emotions. I watched hardened police officers tear up when you read yours. Really? Thanks. And all, well, all I can put that down to is, you know, because it's, usually it's the children that evoke the emotion, right? Yeah. Or even you, Lenore. I mean, this happened to you. Yeah. But Carl, dude, you love your wife. Thank you. I and do. you know, in a day and age when that is just so stinking rare for uh, for a man to stand by his woman like that, and and there's something primal in 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 this for all of us, when the man stands up and and steps into that protective role. It hit everybody in that room, especially when you looked at Buddy, and that's all I'm going to keep calling him, uh, in the eyes. You know, you turned around and looked. It was that that was a cold death stare, dude. Oh, it was. I needed I needed to do that for myself. I, I I'm so proud of Lenore, and I'm so I can't thank her enough for the rest of my life for what she did. I mean, she saved all our lives that day, hmm. and I am so angry at this man for what he did and what he thought he had the right to do. 
and I've never had a chance. You know, he'd come into court and look at me, and we'd sort of glance. I'd, I'd give him the stare, but he'd always look away, and, and um, I never had an opportunity. And, and, of course, I can't address him, you know, one-to-one, but mm. um, it was my opportunity to, to tell him in no uncertain terms that I was disgusted yeah. with what he did. Was it weird in the in the courtroom that the box he was sitting in was uh, a low wooden walled box? In other words, you could see from his rib cage up. Yeah, uh, there was no glass, no protective glass. All he had to do was hop that thing, and oh, you were you were twelve feet away from him, yeah, Lenore. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because yeah. that went through my mind. Time it, I was I already had my route planned. I knew where I was going. If anything, <laughs> no, seriously, if anything went so down, exactly right. Yeah. They had a couple of security uh, people who were in the in the courtroom. At one time, one of the security officers left. Mm. Yes, uh, that's right. The one closest to. Anyway, was that weird? Well, uh, oh, f- super Lenore? weird. Lenore? Yeah, oh, I, I hated that. The I, first I time, hated eh, it. Lenore? It was yeah. we, we, the first time he was in court on, in the normal courts. This was in the superior court. Right. In the normal courts, he was behind glass and across the room, and there was guards between us. Right. And long distance. And then we went into this courtroom when it moved into the superior court, and we were not ready for that at all. We came in, we sat down, we were there just to witness the proceedings yeah, again, and yeah. and lo and behold, he comes in, sits like, like at that point, it was six feet away from you, and Lenore panicked, legitimately started thinking, this guy could jump this thing and carry on attacking me, you know, and, it, you know, you try to say, Lenore, no way that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, yeah, but you can't. I, I almost wanted him to do it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, in her mind, it immediately goes to an incredible fear, an incredible, you know, um, you know recollection of sure. what he did once before, and he could do it again. He's six feet away. Unfair position to put I you I think in. so. Very unfair. Anyway. Okay, well... <clears throat> I'm nervous. Oh, don't be. I'm all right to talk about Are it. Are you? I am. Yeah. 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 We all heard about it in town. It's a small town, rumblings. Uh, people start talking in the streets and coffee shops. And and uh, the facts usually uh, don't get that straight until uh, the media. And even then, uh, it, it's not even really all that factual. Mm-hmm. So let's get the facts. Uh, it was two summers ago. That's right. And you were um, working in this clothing shop, and um, it was your fifth shift. That's right. First so Saturday. First Saturday, uh, whole shift by yourself. And a um, gentleman comes in about uh, 20, 15 minutes before close. Is that right? He'd, he'd come in earlier. Earlier in the day. He'd come in about uh, between 3 and 3.30. And... Um, I guess cased the joint, but I didn't know that. Right. People were in the store. I was friendly. We talked a bit because he was interested in a skirt. Okay. And he wanted to take a picture of it. So I said, oh, do you want me to hold the skirt up? And when he took the picture of the skirt, I thought he took the picture of me. And I said, hey, you just took a picture of me. And he said, no, no, I didn't. No, I took a picture of the skirt. You said that? I did. Good for you. And he said, no, no, I'm going to send this to my girlfriend because she's sick at home. And I, before I buy it, I want her to know if she'd want it. Hmm. So we, I thought, yeah, right, you took a picture of me. I, I was sure he did. And he put the skirt back and left. But I didn't feel worried about him. Just was, let it go. It was gone. There wasn't anything about him no. that worried me okay. at the time. And then? So then it was um, about 22 six. And because it was my first Saturday, it was a computerized cash. I was unfamiliar with it. I thought, okay, they said I could start early to close. And if anyone came in, I just open up for the next day's sales and it would have then been Sunday sale. So it must have been about 
10 to 6. And he came in. I was alone. And as soon as the door opened, I looked at him. I thought, oh, shoot, he's coming back for the skirt. I'm in the middle of closing. Now I'm going to have to finish closing and open for the next day's sales, all with this guy standing in front of me. I wasn't even worried about him. Hmm. I was much more worried about closing properly right. and reopening. So that's that's kind of where he got me at. Not at all was I worried of being alone with him. Sure. Sure, you had no guard up whatsoever. No, well, no. Preoccupied. I mean, you've seen him, Drew. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he comes in with a patch over his eye and tattoos, and, no. and you know, you look at him and you think he's menacing. No. He just looks like an average, average looking average, schmo, average guy, you yeah. know, and simple guy, and yeah. he's just coming in to buy a dress. Yep, yeah. nothing. No, you're right, uh, Carl. Nothing would would say whoa uh, about mm-hmm. this guy. All mm-hmm. right. Okay, then what? So he um, gets the skirt, brings it to me. And I'm still deciding on, I, I took the cash that was on the counter and I put it uh, behind me in, in a pencil case that was going to be the, the deposit, deposit for the day. Mm-hmm. So I put it on the counter behind and he gives me the skirt and then he pretends, oh, I forgot my wallet. So I'm thinking, good, I don't have to do all this <laughs> right. in front of him, finish closing yeah. and look like someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So I was really happy. Great. Let me, I, when, when will he be back? Mon- he said he'd be back Monday. And he gave me a, a, a fake name of Steve. And so I wrote a little note, hung the skirt up, put the note over the skirt saying Steve will be back in Monday to pick this up. And um, then he kind of walks over to the side where some men's clothing, there was just a rack or two of men's clothing. And he started looking around at uh, some shorts. So I still didn't think anything. And he's looking through these shorts, and then he picks up a pair, and he hands it to me. He reaches out, and I said, oh, are you going to get those shorts too? And he said, yep. So when I grabbed, leaned over to take the uh, shorts, he lunged at me. In what way did he lunge at you? He grabbed my breasts. Right. I would imagine, Lenore, first thing goes through your mind, well, is what, 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 like you're stunned, um, yeah. but then you're th- you're thinking the worst about uh, sexual assault, Absolutely. right? I mean, that's... Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't really swear, but I wanted to come across aggressive because I thought, Good uh-oh, this guy, I want him to think he's yeah. picked the wrong girl. Yeah. So I swore. Yeah. And I was like, what the ass yeah. are yeah. you doing? Yeah. You know, and I... Um, he just looked at me. He's like, "Oh, you didn't like that, you know." And he was really, I, I'm pretty sure he came in there to rape me. But um, I was like, "Get out!" Get and I, and then that's when he ran at me, grabbed my head, put it in a headlock, and forced me into the back to the stockroom. To the stockroom. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, without giving all the, you know, horrific details, but he he got on top of me, mm-hmm. and he pushed my eyes in with his thumbs. And at the time that he did that, I was thinking, I should have been doing that to you, you know, because I've seen shows where if you, you push in someone's eyes or you push up on their nose, yeah. it's you're going to have a minute to get away from them. But he did it to me first. And he was smothering my my, hand, my mouth. And I was just screaming, screaming, screaming. And I and when he, when he stopped, and he kept saying, you know, be quiet, be, be quiet. But I was screaming, thinking, the people next door have got to hear yeah, this. Yeah, sure. Because I'd been hearing them all day. But they closed an hour earlier. Everybody in that strip mall closed at 5, except for the convenience store. So um, nobody heard. No one heard the screaming. So I I pleaded with them. I just said, look, you you don't want to do this. You know, I'm a sick woman. And I, I meant that because I have rheumatoid arthritis. But I think he took that as I had something else wrong. 
Oh, right. Okay. Sexual disease or yeah, something. Like, or, yeah. Okay, and yeah. so I, he sort of was like, oh, I could just, like, I could right. see that he wasn't going to do that. I thought I could see in his face that he was going to change his mind okay. in, in raping me. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, I said, look, you know what? Take money from the store. Just take money from the store. I won't call the police. Just, you know, I'm trying to give him an easy out. And, um, but he said, well, how much money? But I said, like, I don't have any money, but I could give you money from the store. So he forced me back into the front of the store. Uh, I gave him the money. He just quickly looked through it, put it in his, his pocket. And then he forced me to lock the front door, put the clothes sign. Um, he wanted rope to tie me up. And I gave him twine, uh, not twine, I gave him ribbon. And he said that wasn't strong enough. So he opened a drawer and found this, this long piece of twine. Mm and said he was, I said, what are you going to do with that? And he said, I'm going to tie you up. And I believe that. So we, he forced, I said, well, can you tie me up here? I wanted to be tied up in the front of the store. And he said, no, in the back. So we went into the back and he wanted me to sit in this chair. And I just, my gut intuition, he was standing behind the chair. So when I sat in the chair, I stood right back up. And I was like, I don't like that chair. Please don't make me sit in the chair. And he's like, sit down. I don't care what chair you sit in. So I happened to sit in a, in a chair that had boxes behind it, which made him stand beside me. And I think partly that saved my life because I saw him. I was so naive. I actually put my arms on this, this, the chair, on thinking the I'm going to get tied up, yeah, yeah. but with one piece of rope. I don't know how I wasn't thinking, but he, um, I saw it at the corner of my eye, him put the, like quick, his arm went around my throat and I was able to grab the rope just in the in the center of my throat and he strangled me unconscious and I, I woke up on on the ground and that is a tip that like yeah. that is that's almost worse because hearing yourself being strangled is yeah. horrible it's it's a horrible sound just the thought like when she when she recounts it it's it's chilling because she was able to force air out and then nothing in so as she was struggling and, and fighting, you know, you'd hear the gurgling sound of the air going out and then, of course, nothing able to go back in again. Right, and right, right. and um, the horrificness of that yeah. was, must be something beyond words. Like the whole time, too. Imagine. Oh, it's like I had two brains. That's the other thing that was super interesting. I I was fighting, and yet I was had this other brain that was just staying so calm and saying, oh, my gosh, you're in trouble, or keep him calm. Or, like, this other side of me was just... Being logical and and staying calm. Yeah, yeah. But the other side was trying to fight. Um, after you woke up, after passing out, yeah. He then continued to. Uh, well, when I woke up, was... he was already on me. He he was straddled me. He had straddled me, right. and um, I saw him pull out a knife out of his back pocket, uh, pop it open, and um, he just started stabbing. And and all I could do was say no, and I was just like no, no, no the whole time. Yeah. The knife size, I, maybe it's a, a detail that doesn't, I don't know, it's just something that popped into my head. Is it a, it was small, big? Uh, like a you know, It was bigger than an army knife, right? but like a Swiss army knife, yeah. but I, I actually couldn't tell you the, the you know, how no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. We were, it was described as a switchblade. Okay. So I, 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 I don't know how long the sure. knife blade was, four yeah. inches or something. Yeah. No, well, I guess the reason I ask that is because, uh, the, you know, how it would penetrate your body and, I mean, I, both lungs were punctured? Yes. Both lungs and and he got her liver as well, um, and just did a tremendous amount of damage to her chest and arms. 
and um, left hand uh, was what you were fending yourself with, uh, defending yourself with? Because of my rheumatoid arthritis, my elbow has been very damaged. That was the target joint. On the right arm? Yep, my right right arm. So I didn't really protect much with that. I was definitely using my left arm to protect my face. And um, so he cut right through, right to the bone, cut everything, the nerves, the tendons, the blood vessels. And the minute that was cut, I was thinking, oh, no, that's a bad one. Like, that's a bad one. Immediately, my hand felt 10 times the size. I could just tell by by the feeling that mm. that's going to probably be something that's going to take a long time to get over. Right. And, and that and is com- true. I've, I've commented on this before because, of course, you've recounted it many times, but it was... It was, you know, she, this man is, is lunging at her, stabbing her repeatedly, and then when the wrist got severed that way, she immediately thought, oh, that's a bad one. And I keep thinking, I'd say to her, like, geez, Lenore, all the ones that were going to your chest, you weren't thinking yeah, was yeah, bad, yeah. you know? And, and um, But it's it's remarkable. She says, again, I don't think you're gonna, whether you're going to bring this up or not, but she didn't feel the stab wounds. You, know, you didn't the, feel the, 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 to the ones to your torso? You didn't feel? I No, I didn't. I mean, I knew I was being stabbed. I could I could hear it, I could feel it, but I didn't feel like sharp pain. It's like the brain goes into yeah. some other gear. Protective. Protective yeah. state, yeah. 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 Okay, how does one stop stabbing? Like when do you you know, what goes through someone's mind is okay, well that's enough uh, now. If I can just say Please. I think that's when God stepped in, to be honest with you. I, you know, I, I think you know, he's stabbing repeatedly and you know, thirty one is what we counted as wounds that required staples or stitches. There were many other slashes and 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 you know, scrapes and cuts to her body, but they didn't stitch those up. Mm-hmm. And um if I can, Lenore, he you know, in fighting Lenore's arms, he finally came down and into his own arm. And I and I honestly believe that that's where God stepped in and said that's enough, you know, and he put his arm in the in the direct path of the blade coming down, and it went into his arm significantly. And, um, and Lenore didn't know this at the time, right. but, you know, here she is frantically fighting to protect sure. herself. Next thing she knows, he's gone. Yeah. yeah. So he then goes into the bathroom, I think, to take care of his wound? Is that Well, you know, in and out of that, I, I guess I was drifting. Like, I, I was aware of everything and fighting and fighting, but all of a sudden he's gone. So I don't remember him getting up and leaving. All of a sudden, I'm aware he's gone. So I thought, I got to get out of here. And I was able to stand up. And I was so weak and just trembly. And I, I stood up, put my hand on this on the wall, and was going to turn the corner to head out to the front of the store. And he was in the bathroom. And he saw me through the mirror. And he, I, I still have this horrible uh, flashback of seeing him look up see me in the mirror, spin around, and he has gray hair, and it was long at the time. And it just, this gray hair just sort of spun out, and he turned around, and he just ran right from the bathroom, like full steam at me, grabbed my face, and just threw me back to the ground. And um, I just was like a rag doll. I just went straight back, hit my head, lost hair, which I found out later uh, from the trauma of hitting the uh, cement. Mm. But... I said to him, I need to get help. I, I'm dying. And he pointed to his arm and he said, I'm dying too. And he, sh- and he pointed to the cut on his, his arm. Mm. So at that point, I thought, I am not going to get out of here unless he thinks I'm dead. So I just sort of what he was like panicking. And I just sort of calmed myself down and rolled over and thought, I'm just going to pretend I'm dead, play dead. 
And but what he didn't know is I was still watching him through I, I had my eyes closed, but just through my eyelashes, I was able to watch him go in and out of the bathroom, back into the front, back into the back, back into the bathroom. And and, the, you know, he kept looking at me and then looking away. But he must have thought I was dead. And that's when he stole the phone from the store, stole my purse, my phone, um, a, a jacket and I think a shirt. He either used the shirt to cover up his own blood or he changed his top. And uh, just before he left, he came over and he kicked me in the back. And uh, I just, I did not flinch. I just, I took it. See, and that's the part of the story where everyone goes, what? Yeah. 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 Because I knew if I had have gone, uh, or something, he he would have probably slit my throat. Who are you to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Angels. Angels were with me. That's, That's all I could say. And then he fled out the back door. So he gave me one good swift kick in the back and turned around and walked out the back door. And then somehow, some way, you were able to crawl to the front? Yes. As soon as that door shut, I sat up. <laughs> and I was blind. Yeah. I could not see. Because the blood in your eye. Yeah. Well, and of course, well, him putting his thumbs in your eyes. Yeah. Or just the lack of blood. Yeah, sure. I, I yeah, had yeah, been knows? bleeding out for Pick so one. long, you know, for yeah. a period of time. So I... Um, I was able to crawl over to the lady who owned the store. She had a desk at the back, and I knew there was a phone there. So I was, I felt, found the desk, got up on my uh, elbows, and found the phone. But I'd never used that phone, so I didn't know where the talk button was, where the on-off button was. And I just, um, I, I touched a button that sounded like a fax phone. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a fax phone. And I left it. I did not dwell trying to phone 911. Mm-hmm. I just... Um, thought like all I knew was I needed to get out. So I was able to stand and I was blind, but I got to the front of the store and my, I, I, my vision cleared and I saw the door, I saw the lock, opened it and got this gust of air that just hit me in the face. And I, I walked out and sat down on, on these bags of salt that you use in a water softener. Mm, Cause that's the store next door. Right. Yeah. And I, I was able to get a guy who was sitting in a car and, he, I was just screaming at him, like, help me, help me, I've been stabbed. And he he drove his car very cautiously to the front of the store and got out and then saw me and I said, please call 911. And he, he went next door then to the, not right next door, but to the variety, variety store, store. Yeah. and called for help. As far as consciousness goes, uh, you were, you, I mean, you lost consciousness when he strangled you. Was there any other time afterwards, even the, the, I guess the next time would be when they sedated you in the hospital? Well, you know, the f- funny thing is I never thought that I was, but uh, out of it at all. Okay. They thought I was. Yeah. They, but um, Carl did get a chance to see me at the Orangeville Hospital. I don't have any recollection of that. Right, right. right. So whether that's just me blocking that out or, or I was out. I, I'm not sure, but I know I, I remember being loaded onto the ambulance, getting onto the air ambulance. I know the time at the hospital. Um, yeah, how many units of blood does the body have? Seven. How many units did you have left in you? Well, I lost six. They gave me six six units, six bags of blood. Lenore, I hate to state the obvious here. <laughs> Go ahead. But you should not be alive. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I know. It's It's a miracle. She has another another purpose. To fix you. <laughs> you need a lot of help. She, well, I was going to say she needs a lot of help then. <laughs> oh. Let's talk about the miracle side of things. 
when someone says you're a miracle or it's a miracle, do you think that causes everyone to look upward? In other words, when we hear the word miracle, do we automatically go, God's behind this? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I do. Something I, I didn't say, but when he fled and I stood up, I started calling out Jesus's name. And I've never done that before. I've never... Um, been in a situation or just sort of had an opportunity or thought to do that. But my sister had said to me in the past, you know, if you ever need help, just call out Jesus's name. And it's like three critical times that I needed to see my vision cleared. Wow. So I, it is a miracle. But you, you guys, and uh, let me paint the picture correctly here, because this is a Jesus station. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the shows on here I'm not too keen on. I'm not even keen on my own show. But, um, you know, there's a lot of raving evangelicalism going yeah. on around yeah. us. Uh, you guys are not that ilk. You're not of that ilk. Is it, you know, you're not, uh, you're not to church every Sunday, three times a week. You know, you know you're no. reading your Bible 24-7 and, and singing Pat Boone songs. No. Because that's creepy. I just got to say that whole thing right there. That's, but, but, well, it is. So, anyway, but, so where, I mean... What's happened to you spiritually as a result of this? We, we've we've always been we've always believed in God. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not I, sorry, I didn't mean to paint you as you know heathens. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, good. Yeah, I just want, let's clear that up. <laughs> no, but I mean, because like it's these things. You know, C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Mm-hmm. There's very few pains that are as traumatic or as as worse as what you guys have gone through, and and I wonder if this has caused you to look upwards. There's no question in my mind, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I already had a great faith. And then, you know, my one of my daughters said to me, like, Mom, like, are you mad? Are you mad at God? And I said, no. Like, I am, I feel God is what saved me. Like, I, I feel it was my faith that got me through. I mean, think about it, Drew. I mean, there's, there are so many things that happened that had to happen, had to line up right. so perfectly for her to survive. I mean, I mean, even for her, the thought to come into her mind to play dead. I mean, in that, in so doing, she slows down her breathing. You know, she's got two punctured lungs and she's bleeding profusely. So she slows down her breathing and she's, um, you know, is able to last out the time more. When she gets out of the store, there's a guy there in a car that's able to call 911 quickly. The police are there within minutes. Mm. That when the police arrive, they're told 10 minutes before the ambulance is going to get there. Officer James says, she does not have 10 minutes. And he says, no, a minute later, virtually, I look up and here's the ambulance pulling in the parking lot. The ambulance pulls in the parking lot and normally there's two ambulance attendants that are, um, that are, that are attending the ambulance. Three get out. Well, what's happening on this day? They're getting training on trauma from a Jane and Finch trauma rescue paramedic. So this guy comes out and he's, uh, apparently we hear this later, but he's beckoning control commands to these guys and telling them what to do and what to do fast. And, and these guys are throwing wrappers and things all over the place and reacting quickly. And really, I mean, those those guys stabilized Lenore and saved her life immediately, yeah. I believe, at yeah. that point. Yeah, sure, sure. Then, you know, then we live in a society where we have air ambulance and, and you know, the air ambulance was, was there at the hospital waiting for Lenore when they got out of the emergency, you know, so it's there ready to take her to, to the uh, Sunnybrook Hospital. She gets to Sunnybrook Hospital. It's a Saturday on an afternoon in the uh, sort of Saturday late afternoon on a summer. There's no one in the emergency ward. Sixteen attendants 
converge on her. Well, I think in the trauma. Know, they the have trauma like a trauma center and, sure. and yeah, an emergency. In the trauma, yeah. 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 But I mean, she had all these people there to t- attend to her, and she had a lot of things that needed to be done to save her life. And oh, it was all there, all fell in place perfectly for her to be here today. I think if, if one of those didn't line up, you know, yeah, she was. Yeah. And it starts, I believe, from the stabbing of his own arm. That that's when God yeah, stepped in and said, said, that's now, you know, now I'm stepping in, you know, and. Um, we, um, I think we, we might have a caller actually. Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Rebecca. Oh, hi, Rebecca. How are you? <laughs> hi, I'm good. How are you? Rebecca, what's your last name? Uh, Wirt. Oh, okay. Are you related <laughs> to these, uh, this fine couple here? Yes, I am. Oh. Where are you in the birth order? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yeah. How old are you, Rebecca? I'm 17. Rebecca, um. You know, you know the story. You've lived through it. It's affected you in in many ways, and in your own way as well. Each family member has their own journey, I guess, throughout this. Yeah. It's Mother's Day tomorrow. There are a lot of 17-year-olds out there that eh, they're not going to really love on their mom a whole lot tomorrow. They might do the the uh, I got to get her a card thing. Yeah. What would you say to any 17-year-old about Mother's Day tomorrow? Um. Well, I think I'd say just don't take your mom for granted, you know, because, I mean, not that I really did before, but I feel like this incident has kind of made me feel that um, how easily your mom can be taken away from you or just anyone that you care really a lot for. So just don't kind of take them for granted and enjoy every second you can with them. If I'd never met your mom before, this is going to be a little embarrassing, but I'm, you're going you're gonna to do it. You'll do fine. All right. If I'd never met your mom before, Rebecca... And you and I just met, and uh, and I said, no, tell me about your mom. What she, what, uh, describe her to me. Tell me what she like. Oh, that's not embarrassing. Um, well, she is like the best person ever. She's the best mom. She always keeps everything equal, you know, between the three of us girls. And um, she's almost like a friend. Uh, I feel like I can really tell anything to her. She's really sweet and really kind, and she's always nice to people. Um, she is like a people pleaser. I feel like she never wants to let anyone down. She always wants to help people as much as she can, and she's just the best. So when you grow up, mm-hmm. I, I kind of have a feeling you'd like to be like your mom. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm just, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything. But. <laughs> no, I do for sure. Thank you, Rebecca. You're welcome. <laughs> Rebecca. I, I don't know you at all, really, uh, but I, I do want to say, uh, you know, I watched you a couple of times in the courtroom. And for a 17-year-old, you are one classy broad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I really wait. What are you? What at the end of the school year this year? Do you have one more? No. What are you, what's going on school-wise for you? Uh, no, I'm in grade 12, okay. uh, and I'm going to university next year. Good for you. Good for you. you. I really wish you the best. Thank you. Yeah, and th- I just well, I wanted you to be part of this conversation. So <laughs> I know I did too. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, sweetheart. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. See ya. Yeah, seriously, you guys have, it's like, leave it to Beaverville over at your house. Oh my gosh, it's not. It's we not. are normal. Really? We are. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> so sure about do. that. No, we do. Well, um, okay, obviously, uh, you know, we could talk on forever because we care about each other's lives and story, uh, but it's a radio show and uh, we've already gone on 35 minutes and and, and so let's let's wrap it up. I'm struggling with my spiritual beliefs. I'm struggling with my faith. Uh, some have said it's a, a crisis of faith that I'm going through right now. But hearing what you have gone through, seeing your family, and seeing God actually, and I actually believe this, I, I believe that God has interacted 
tangibly with your family. I wish you'd do a little bit of that in my life, but I don't want to go through the hell that you went through (laughs) in order to get it. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say is thank you because you are an inspiration. And I know people say that and it could become trite, but you have you have injected into my spiritual life like steroids. So so thank you for that. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. That's not our intention at all. No. And that's why, though. There's no agenda that comes with this, right? No. It's just me seeing the, the creator interact with your family is just, really? You know what I mean? Well, I feel blessed that he did. I tell you that much. I thank him every day, and I thank Lenore. And when I say she's my hero, she truly is. Yeah, yeah. And, Carl, at the risk of sounding, again, a little, uh, a little like we've got a bromance going on here or something. Yep. <laughs> Um, <laughs> again, you're an, you're another encouragement for me as far as a man uh, is concerned. Because when I watch you love on your wife, it convicts me, and I got to get my blank together. You thank know what? Well, I have to you. tell you that is this is the reason, and and my three kids that is I needed to live to see them again. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that going through your head yeah, as yeah. you're laying there, hearing the sound of blood leaving your own body and yes. going, I, I've got to get up. Yeah. I have to. Okay. Anyway, that's a mushy moment. I've got to get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, there's so us. much more that could be uh, talked about and pulled apart and analyzed. But Gosh, yeah. yeah, I just wanted uh, people to have a wake-up call before Mother's Day tomorrow. I wanted them to look at their moms and really appreciate their mothers tomorrow. And that's why you're here today. Do that. Thanks yeah. for having yeah. us. Yeah. Folks, that is the end of the show. Uh, completely ran out of time there. If you missed any of today's show and you want to listen to it again, we're going to have all the interviews posted on our website, drewmarshall.ca, drewmarshall.ca, uh, by the end of the week. I have no idea who's coming up on our show next week. <laughs> I should, but I, I can barely remember what happened today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, go to our website, check it out, and visit us next week, 1 to 5, right here on Joy 1250. And, hey, if you're new to the country, get the heck out of the left lane. Bye-bye. Oh, love that fires the sun, keep me.